This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. I'm Steve Martorano, your host and guide. The whole uh, whole thing is sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health, about about which more a little bit later. Um, a- as you know, if you've been uh, following us along on your own podcasts or listening over the radio or however you get this program, and we hope you do, we've been highlighting a uh, an event that's going to take place at Retreat's West Palm Beach facility. the uh, The event is entitled "Mental Health Crisis: Protecting Our Youth." If you are not living in a cave, you know that there is something going on with our young people. They have uh, an alarm. There's been an alarming spike in the suicides among those people. So to call it a crisis is not an overstatement. The whole thing is going to take place next week on the 24th of July in the, the West Palm Beach area. If you're down there, you're invited. You're invited. It starts at 6 p.m. There'll be food. There'll be people. It's a great group of people. They're all expert in their fields. It'll also be streamed live on Facebook. So we've been highlighting the panelists and our final guest. And, you know, in between he and I and, and you guys, we've saved the best for last. Alan J. <laughs> West is uh, our guest. Alan is a director, a producer, an actor. He's one of those hyphenated people, uh, a real all-around Renaissance guy. Uh, we ran into Alan personally uh, when uh, his uh, production group was in the Lancaster area for a, a program we'll find out more about a little bit later that retreat is is going to be a uh, part of. So we welcome Alan J. West to the program. Did I get most of that right, Alan? Wow. Pretty impressive, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I'm, laughs> thank you, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, uh, our pleasure. So let's, you know, let's um, let's begin at the beginning and tell us who Alan J. West is. Sure. Uh, it was that a uh, the, the 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 full backstory. Yep. All right. So the story goes: I was uh, I, I was I was born in in Harlem. And uh, I was a border baby. Uh, for people who don't know the definition of a border baby, it's a person, uh, an infant, who's left in the hospital. Uh, so when my mother um, went to the hospital, my biological father uh, was packing his bags, and uh, I've, I've never seen him. So I was in the hospital for 13 months, and I'm assuming there must have been a really nice nurse who looked after me because I, you know, I didn't turn out you know, half bad. <laughs> so I stayed there for 13 months. There was a couple by the name of Sam and Viola Dupree who uh, took me into their home. So I lived in the foster care system for the next uh, six years. And I got to tell you, I received a lot of love from that family. You know, there's a lot of negative things that are said about the uh, foster system, foster care system. And I was one of the lucky ones. And I think throughout that experience, one of the things that really showed me early on was that, uh, you know, you can really love someone that's not your blood. And uh, that, that compassion and that lesson has really stayed with me over the course of my lifetime. Mm. Alan, can, um, I, can I interrupt you for just a second? Can, sure. So I understand the circumstances of your birth. Where does border baby come into it? Why border baby? Border baby is a term that uh, is used for infants who are left in the hospital. Oh, oh you mean, uh, oh, border, oh, I got it. I mean, border. border yeah, yeah, either for foster uh, care or adoption. Okay. So my mother signed, my biological mother 
sign the papers, um, not for adoption, but for foster care. So that's border in the sense of housing, housed, uh, or uh, rather than a, 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 you know, the southern border of the United States. I, I oh got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yes, got yes, it. Yes, yes. I, I, I never, I never looked into the uh, to the to the you know the semantics of the meaning, but yes. Yeah. So, um, so your experience in foster care was positive, eh? I, to, to be honest, I don't know if there's a human being that I've met in my lifetime who's better than, uh, not, not, I shouldn't say better, but just more loving and more compassionate than Viola Dupree, who, who was my uh, foster mother for six years. Between what, the ages of what and what? 13 months to uh, about seven. What were the circumstances? interesting. In, in New York City, you could be legally adopted if you stay in the same foster family for seven years. Yeah. I was there for six plus, and uh, my biological mother uh, came to get me, um, you know, right before that, uh, that seven-year mark. Wow. And, you know, obviously, you know, that, that was also uh, very difficult. Obviously, you know, I, you know the, the, the trauma that I, I must have gone through from being left in the hospital and then being taken away from a loving family uh, definitely has had uh, some some pretty serious effects on me. That was took your, me years to work out. Was your was your biological mother at that point a stranger to you, or had she been part of your life during that period of time? Well, it's I had a social worker. Her name is Mrs. Green. Uh, she came into my life when I was about six years old. Um, I had never I had never seen my biological mother up to that point so I, I remember it vividly I was sitting at the kitchen table and uh, the social worker walks in and she says uh, your mother's here to meet you and I looked at her like she had seven heads and I said what are you talking about my mother's <laughs> my mother's cooking dinner right in the uh, kitchen and uh, she said no she, so she sat me down and explained what the situation was and uh, I then went to the uh, to the living room, and I met my biological mother for the first time, and it's kind of fuzzy, but I think I I think I spent three or four days with her before she gained full custody of me over the course of that year. Wow, and you uh, yeah. well, you know, the, among uh, it shaped you obviously. It's among the reasons you're going to be a great panelist on this because you probably know more more about uh, uh, what kind of uh, mental health crisis young people can be going through. So, okay, so it, it must have been just uh, as we said, traumatic. You, you you go, you wind up back now with your biological mother. T- tell us about that circumstance. How did that work out? Well, the one of the most vivid um, memories that I ever had as a child was leaving the house that day um, that I had to go to my mother who lived in the South Bronx. So, you know, we were in Crown Heights in Brooklyn and the neighborhood was very, you know, it was one of those neighborhoods where you could literally walk into someone else's house and, uh, you know, sit there and have lunch. And, you know, it was like, I felt like I had all of these uh, satellite families on the block. So when I left, there was, anywhere from you know 60 70 people standing outside and i went in the car and i remember i was sitting in the back seat mrs green was sitting next to me and there was a driver in front and i turned around 
and it was literally everybody on the block was crying. And, uh, you know, I was sort of stoic and I didn't cry. I looked at my, uh, my godmother and she was the only one that wasn't crying. And I remember thinking at the time, it really bothered me that she, she was the only one who wasn't crying, but I think she was just trying to find strength for, uh, for me. And, you know, I, to, whew, you know, at that, that day I felt like I grew up and I went to the South Bronx and, um, my mother had a, my biological mother had a, um, a, uh, plethora of mental health issues. So the remainder of my childhood was really, um, you know, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of neglect and a lot of abuse and, uh, you know, living in a neighborhood like the South Bronx, you know, you hear the stories, Fort Apache, the Bronx, it was, uh, we were in the middle of an arson epidemic where people were building, uh, burning down buildings. Uh, and, uh, there was also a, a massive drug epidemic, uh, in that neighborhood, uh, in the eighties. So, um, it was, it was, it was challenging to say the least. Yeah. You, I, I, I remember the Bronx from that period. Uh, I left New York about 10 years earlier than that. But mm-hmm. uh, you, when you talk about an arson epidemic, and it sounds horrible, and it was, but it sort of made sense from what was happening on the ground in the Bronx. I mean, these buildings were derelict. They were drug dens. Uh, yeah. And the city the city didn't have any money or didn't care. So why not just burn them down? It, uh, there's no way to describe how bad the Bronx were there. So uh, during this period of time, uh, it, was like, it was like living in Beirut. No, it just I mean people <laughs> people people couldn't couldn't imagine what it was like. But I mean, so you're a young guy now. Now you're cut loose. Your mom is in no way able to provide the uh, support and nurturing that you you had. Uh, are you running wild in the streets, or or what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of a lawless environment, but at the end of the day, you're just a kid, right? So, you know, when you're a kid, you just, you, you have fun no matter what the circumstances are. You know, I had my group of friends and uh, we were really, really loyal to each other. And I had this thing, by the time I was about 10 or 11 years old, I would take my 10 speed bike and uh, I would just go on journeys on the weekends. You know, I, I was... Um, I played ball. I played, uh, you know, basketball, football, and baseball. So I'd go into these other neighborhoods, and uh, I'd just find games, and I met so many um, interesting people, and you know, it, it was uh, it was a journey. Yeah, and I, you know, but but even as a young kid, I always knew that I had to get the hell out of the <laughs> South Bronx. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was focused on doing that. Did you have siblings under this arrangement? Did you? Did your biological mother have other children that you grew up with? No, I was an only child. Wow! So there's so child. there's nobody. And, so so you, yeah, but you know, I, I I think what you do, I don't think what you do. I I think what I did more than anything was really distance myself from any pain or any past, uh, and that was um, how do I say it? That was that was sort of my sanctuary mm-hmm. right you kind of create this um this person that you're really not at a young age and you either fall victim or you overachieve and uh i you know i i, I did the latter at a young age so you know there was a lot of shame in the way that i was living so i was very protective of of no one ever seeing that 
Right. We're going to take no. the, we're going to take the break here, Alan. Before we go, just uh, one one last note on on this portion of your life during, sure. that, during that period of time in the South Bronx with your biological mother. Did you have any contact with your uh, with the foster people who had raised you for the first six years of your life? No, that's a great question. Nobody's ever really asked me that, and the, the answer is no. Uh, she didn't allow me to see them, which was, uh, you know, uh, obviously at the time painful. Alan J. West is our guest. Uh, Alan is going to be, as I said, a panelist at Retreat West Palm Beach uh, next week on the 24th. He's telling us his story about, uh, uh, you know, you just heard it, uh, growing up uh, the way he did. Uh, He's in a unique position. It shaped his life, he said, very productively. We'll get into that ahead, but more of Alan's story straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest on the telephone, Alan J. West. Alan is a director and executive producer. He's also an actor, a member of SAG in good standing, and a panelist for the Retreats Mental Health Crisis event, Protecting Our Youth, that will take place next week in West Palm Beach. Um, We're going to continue with Alan's story, which is an extraordinary story of overcoming a really bad hand that Alan was dealt as an infant. So, so Alan, you know, you, you, this abrupt change that's ripped from your loving uh, and supportive community uh, f- in foster care in, into the uh, South Bronx, and you're on your own, no siblings, very little help from uh, from mom. Well, but yet, as I understand it, you managed to avoid the stereotypical uh, path a lot of guys, uh, people find themselves in, and that's, you know, substance abuse, um, crime, violence, How'd you manage that? Uh, you know, I, I I played sports at a at a young age, and I I think that that keeps you busy. It gives you a concept of uh, team and unity. Um, I, I still had some, uh, you know, I, I was still gravely affected um, at that time. There was at, at thirteen, fourteen years old. I probably drank a fifth of blackberry brandy almost every day. Uh, And I was just functional with it. And I somehow was able to stop uh, when I was about 17. When I got really serious about playing ball and I felt I could get out of the neighborhood. Um, I just shut it down. You know, there were, I, I was, I was the kind of kid that would shovel snow, uh, at 11 o'clock at night and shoot 500 jump shots, you know, because I, I saw a way out. Mm-hmm. And once I, once I saw a way out, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the bad habits that I had on a daily basis, um, uh, were gone. You know, the, the, you know, there was obviously a lot of emotional scars that really don't leave you, you know, attachment disorders and, um, dealing with personal relationships. Uh, you know, there's, there's a thing like, you know, think about it. If your mother can leave you, how could a strange woman not? Exactly. Right, that yeah. you're in a relationship. I mean, it's almost impossible to calibrate your brain in a way to think that you can actually have a functional relationship. So, you know, that was really, really challenging. Well, trust, my, trust, my 20s and 30s. Yeah, trust must be, you know, almost one of the first victims of this. I mean, who, who can you really trust? Who can you really open up to? For you, there must have been people, I'm guessing coaches, um, 
who who was it you 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 could well there was there was i mean two things one is this is you know when when you talk about addiction and recovery and helping people i don't think there's i don't think there's anything more important than a human being consistently helping another person who needs help right um and and the, and the word consistent is i think the key factor so you know my mother dated a uh a lawyer didn't marry him but she dated him when i was eight nine years old and uh for whatever reason he never left my life so you know i i i wouldn't go as far as to say he was a father well he was definitely a father figure but um you know, having that kind of person that you can always uh, contact, that'll always be there, that you can always get on the phone, that, um, you know, he was essentially like my the, the first sponsor I ever had <laughs> at, right. at, at, at 10 years old. And uh, he just always stayed. You know, he passed away uh, seven, eight years ago. But um, it, it was, it, it, you know, that, that was like an angel in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, those angels, you know, if, if they're sprinkled around the right way throughout a lifetime, you can make it. And, and, you're, and you're open to the possibility of it. Uh, you know, it's extraordinary, an extraordinary story sitting where you are today, as accomplished as you are in your, in your field, given, you know, where you started from. Um, you know, it's commendable for sure. Uh, encouraging, um, inspirational, and and you would be the first, I'm sure, to acknowledge that you were also lucky because you had something in you as well that kept you pointed in the right direction. When, when, but I can't believe there has not, and you, you know, there has not been some price to pay for the circumstances you found yourself in. When did they begin to manifest themselves? You talked about relationship issues. When, when did you begin to go? You know what? There's a lot of stuff going on that I'm not aware of. When when did that start to happen? Well, I mean, it, it just, it's your, your subconscious, uh, sort of rules you right until you get help. Uh, so I was this chronic overachiever and, um, I, I had my, I had my first child when I was, uh, 23 years old, 22, 23 years old. Uh, he's now a professional basketball player. He plays overseas. We had a, great relationship and at the time uh being that young i wanted a child and you don't know why you want a child but subconsciously it was unconditional love right right so even though it didn't work out with his mother there was this unconditional love um that i had with this um with my son and you know i i never felt that right so that kind of relationship keeps you going until you hit a brick wall. And my early thirties, I hit a brick wall, right? So you get to the point where, uh, the subconscious just kind of, you know, beats you down and, uh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get help, you know? And I went through a tremendous amount of therapy, uh, probably 32 to 35 years old. And, uh, and I worked it out, but at that point at 32 years old, it really, really knocked me, uh, pretty hard. Alan J. West, our guest, we're going to pick up on Alan's story and then we're going to, uh, uh, swing into his, uh, 
many accomplishments as a producer, director, and actor, and writer. Straight ahead, here on Recovery Radio, please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you. We'll return uh, with our guest, Alan J. West, straight ahead. I just want to remind you about the panel that Alan will be taking part in at Retreat's West Palm Beach facility. The event is entitled Mental Health Crisis, Protecting Our Youth. And that is on the 24th. That's uh, next week, 6 p.m. Check out all of the details if, if you're interested and in that area uh, on the uh, Retreat Behavioral Health website. Or you can listen about anything you hear on this program. We always give you the number for Retreat, and they're not there to sell you anything except good information about uh, mental health issues and uh, substance abuse treatment. 855-859-8808. That's how you reach Retreat Behavioral Health. 855 855- Alan J. West, uh, executive producer, director, and uh, sometimes actor, is our guest on the program, uh, telling us about his uh, uh, story about growing up in uh, the uh, city of New York under uh, very, very difficult circumstances that he prevailed over. Uh, Alan, uh, to pick up this notion that you're, you know, you're rolling along and, you know, you're overachieving, and then the brick wall comes up, and in your early 30s, you... You discover, you're just not happy, I guess, and you, you need help. Did someone direct you towards that, or were you, again, self-motivated and aware enough to know, i got to talk to somebody? I mean, I, you know, I was, I was self-motivated, but what, what a lot of people don't realize is your, your, your brain is very protective, right? So, so one, of the, um, one of the things that happened to me was I, I had horrible long-term memory. Right. And a lot of that has to do with um, like, like, for instance, I could I could see somebody I hung out with, you know, not one of my best friends, but I would see, let's say, in in high school, almost on a regular basis. And I'd see them in a coffee shop somewhere and they'd say, hey, what's up? How you doing? I wouldn't recognize. them. And what the brain does is, you know, it it, it tries to protect you from trauma. Right. And you lose things along the way. And, you know, when I think about my childhood and when I think about things that I've gone through, it, it, it doesn't feel like it was me. You know, it feels like, you know, there's a movie playing back. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I could, you know, I've memorized all the lines, but I don't feel connected, uh, to that child. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 it's really strange how that works. Mm -hmm. So, um, at 32, you, you start getting it yeah, at 32. I started getting into, um, you know, bad habits, just, you know, promiscuity, like, uh, you know, um, getting in and out of relationships. Um, you know, I was never a, um, was never a drug addict, but, you know, I, I definitely wanted to go out and, uh, you know, on the weekends and, and, and go pretty hard. Right. And right. what happens when you, when you do that, it affects your, uh, you know, your work the next day. So at that time, I owned restaurants. So obviously, you know, the bar there is my bar. <laughs> I could do whatever I want to do. Uh, and I never labeled myself an alcoholic, but, you know, maybe I was. I, you know, I, 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 I don't know. There, there was definitely a, a lot of numbing uh, early 30s that I, um, that I almost had to to do and then I got to the point where um, I said okay this this has to change 
so yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, there was no intervention. There was nobody that said, you know, your life's falling apart because it wasn't. Um, but I was severely depressed, not suicidal, but, um, there was a lot of depression. Um, there was a lot of anxiety from, um, from the past, from memories that I was having from different forms of abuse. You know, there were two times as a child, um, as an adolescent, uh, between 11 and 15, you know, someone was murdered, one standing right next to me, uh, and another a few feet away. So, you know, those are PTSD kind of things, but you know, you don't, you don't, you don't really know what it is. You know, when this person, uh, was killed next to me, myself and five other people started chasing the guy who shot my friend Milton. That's an insane response. Right. So, you know, when, when you live in a, uh, in an environment like that, you're, you're, um, you're just, you know, you're just off. And I, I think at 32, I, 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 I desperately needed a, uh, a recalibration and, uh, through some, some deep therapy and, um, you know, some, a few people who really, really cared, uh, it, it, it got me over the hump. Well, you know, it's going to be very instructive for people who can hear you. I know you do, you, you do this story and talk to uh, people young and old, um, very often about, about your experiences, uh, juxtaposed with where you are now, which is very successful. It's going to be very helpful because as, you know, as, as you know, the young people right now are under a, extraordinary kinds of pressures, new pressures. It's never been easy mm-hmm. to be young, but it's certainly not getting any easier these days. And I think um, your story can be instructive. If if someone were to say to you, either a, a parent of a young person or a young adult, um, I'm afraid to even talk about this stuff. What do you what do you tell them about it? Because you just described one of the great and elaborate defense mechanisms anybody's ever constructed. What do you tell somebody who says, my kid won't talk to me about what's really going on, or the young adult says, I'm not talking about it? Right. Um, You know, I mean, look, first of all, just to, you know, when you think about people who go through challenges, right, I I look at it like, um, who was I talking to the other day? I was was talking to my son, and, you know, having this conversation and I, I gave him the analogy of a, of a car in a submarine, right? So if, if you're driving a car, it's miles per hour, right? If, if you're in a submarine, you go down, it's depth perception, right? So the further you go down, the more depth you have. And that's the way I looked at my situation. And that's the way I was able to cope with it. I just, I felt like it was God's plan and I simply had more depth than other people, right? So there's there's the glass glass half full or the glass half empty, and I've always chosen um, the half full, right? Uh, as as far as communicating, it's you know sometimes it's not the parent, you know sometimes the kid needs to speak to someone else, right? Sometimes um, you know I, I I think one of the biggest challenges is is social media. Right. Like, you know, if I was going through something, it was my business. Right. If I had a, uh, a cheap pair of shoes on or, 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 or a T-shirt I didn't like, it was my it was my business. It wasn't blasted on social media. 
and these kids are are blasting their life on social media every day and a lot of the a lot of the comments that come back are really negative right so it puts them further into a shell and you know i i think if parents see uh signs with their children and they're not communicating to the parent the parents have to find someone that uh will communicate with with the kid yeah and oftentimes not i would say you know eight nine out of ten times it's probably not going to be the parent you know so we, we got to figure out what's going on yeah we, we've talked about this many times uh, uh this is not alarmist in in the least to, to point out that suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people there's something going yeah. on here in this culture and uh, we we've said this many times and you just uh, described it there is no safe place to be young anymore where no. where you just don't have to be on all the time these kids right. uh, are always on it's very very difficult for them well you know what alan you we can i can talk about your your story uh for a, a lot longer it's a remarkable story um and it's a very hopeful hopeful one as well because as i said you're you know very successful we want i do want to talk about um your work now uh, retreat we, we we came in contact when you were here perhaps almost a year ago maybe um mm-hmm. doing doing some work for something called addiction unplugged tell us about addiction yes. unplugged yeah, well, you know, first off, just to segue my past and my present, um, my, you know, my personal backstory, my, the DNA that I have has helped me tremendously with my current work. I, w- I was actually interviewing a subject in the middle of the season and uh, a clinician uh, was in the room and, you know, they watched for you know, over an hour in, in an interview that I had and, and, and the subject, I mean, just, you know, you think my story is challenging. I mean, just mm-hmm. over the top, horrific. And the clinician looked at me, and said, you know, you have something called unconditional positive regard. And I said, what's that? And she said, uh, it's, it's when a person has the basic acceptance, trying to remember her words, the basic acceptance and support of a person regardless of what the person says or does. Mm-hmm. And I feel, you know, because I went through what I went through, um, it's, it's given me the motivation to create uh, socially impactful content. And, you know, I, I have a partner on the show. His name is uh, Stu Goffman. Stu came up with the, um, uh, the concept to do this type of show. And the first thing he said when we sat down, when we first met uh, two and a half years ago was, you know, he wanted to humanize the addict. And when he said that, it it just, you know, it lit a fuse in me and uh, it, it was something that I wanted to see through. And we created Addiction Unplugged. Uh, season one is, is really an awareness campaign of the um, of the opioid epidemic. Actually, I should say the drug epidemic. Yep. It's not all about opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even alcoholism. Uh, when we did our episode about first responders, um, was is really prevalent, and uh, it's uh, it is a tremendous epidemic. And I learned so much about. Um, uh, 
just people, you know, and the, you know, we really focused in on was the positive side. I think a lot of content that's, um, uh, distributed and made about addiction and recovery is really, really dark mm-hmm. needles in the alleyway mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we are all about finding heroes and, uh, inspirational stories. Right. So, you know, I remember being in uh, New York during nine 11 and as bad as that day was never in my, all of my years, which, uh, close to, you know, four decades in New York, did I see people come together the way they did, you know, all races, you know, just all diversities. Yeah. And this is the type of epidemic that has no (laughs) race, creed or color, uh, age demo. And, uh, what, what, what I found was people are really rallying around each other. And, and there's a lot of support that's being galvanized. And as bad as this thing is, um, it's beautiful to see what's going on um, just with, with human beings bonding together. Addiction Unplugged A&E, right? Yes. We, uh, we premiere August 17th, 1 p.m. Our lead-in is Intervention. Our lead-out is Live PD. So they gave us, uh, uh, you know, we're sandwiched in, in between the number one and two shows on the network. And, uh, you know, really, really excited about it. We have more with Alan. By the way, check your local listings for when Addiction Unplugged airs in your area. When we come back, more with Alan J. West on Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Alan J. West is our guest. And one quick more uh, reminder, one more time, panelist. He's going to he's going to be on that panel. It's a terrific panel at West Palm Beach on the twenty fourth next week, six o'clock. Mental health crisis protecting our youth is the name of the event. You're invited. Check it all out on Retreats Behavioral Health website. Um, a- Alan, so uh, I know that you've done many other things. Uh, tell us a couple of other projects that you've either. Uh, done. I know you've got a couple of award-winning uh, shows here, uh, um, and what you may be working on right now. Sure. Um, w- w- one of the next projects I'm going to work on is uh, a uh, series called the Nehemiah Project, and it's um, uh, going to focus on uh, youth aging out of the foster care system and uh, how society can sort of rally around them and uh and 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 help and again it's inspirational and and for me that's that's going to be a project that just takes it all like 100 percent full circle mm-hmm. from um uh where i came from to uh to to you know really you know getting in the streets and 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 uh and and helping these kids who um who, who need a hand uh, Keith David, who won uh, two 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 Emmys for his voiceovers, working with Ken Burns on documentaries. He's the uh, voice of the show, and uh, we shot a pilot episode and extracted a sizzle. And uh, you know, I'm 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 excited about uh, um, jumping on that project um, when this one's complete. Who is Nehemiah? Nehemiah is an organization that is based in Los Angeles. Uh, there's a person who's a bishop uh, who runs different churches in the L.A. area uh, who is um, uh, spearheading the, uh, the movement. And uh, they, they've already, you know, they've got a lot of kids into um, uh, housing. Uh, there's a massive homeless uh, issue with uh, foster kids, 20, 25% 
of kids who age out of the system become homeless, which is just wow. insane as a society that we would allow that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously there's an educational issue. There's a uh, sex trafficking is prevalent. The opioid epidemic has crushed the uh, foster care system. So, you know, a lot of what I'm doing with Addiction Unplugged and the Amaya Project are very incestuous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, again, it's, it's obviously going to be a... Uh, uh, a project that is, you know, tremendously meaningful to me personally. When, when do young people age out of uh, foster care? What, 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 what state to state it differs. Yeah. Uh, the youngest could be 18, um, which is horrific. And uh, the oldest is 21. Mm-hmm. So essentially the, uh, the, the, the foster care system gives these kids uh, $200 and uh, you're on your own. Cut some loose. And, you know, just they're cut loose and uh, said good luck that's it that's it you know obviously that's why that that's what leads to uh you know one out of four of these kids being homeless it's just it's a um i i feel like it's a black eye um to this country that we treat these kids this way you know go in and out of you know some of these kids go in and out of 20 30 40 40 um, foster families, and then they're cut loose. You know, there's mm. very few Viola Dupree's. You know, yeah, my, right. my foster mother. Yeah. Very, very few. Uh, yeah, um, I, I suppose I, I suspected it. Uh, among the other things that you'd like to uh, get out in front of is there is a sort of negative connotation to foster care because it's never depicted the way you describe your experience, um, and you, you say your your experience is unusual, but it's it's generally depicted as like a horrible circumstance. It's not like that, is it? Generally? No, I mean, it's, you know, overall, if you, you know, everything has to get a grade, right? So, I mean, it's probably somewhere, you know, in the D, D minus. It's just, um, you know, I, I think it's a bandwidth problem, right? There's, I, I feel like there's obviously a lot of great people who are trying to help these young people, but they, it's just, it's a numbers game. You know, there's uh uh, anywhere from 350 to 400,000, uh, 450,000 foster kids in the system now. Uh, about 40,000 age out every year, and uh, there's just there's just not enough bodies to take care of these kids. And it, you know, it used to be a um, it used to be a minority problem. Um, essentially, when you thought foster care was you know was black and Latino, mm-hmm. now right. Uh, middle America, places like Pennsylvania, you know, um, Ohio, uh, places that have, have been hit tremendously with the opioid epidemic, they are just getting hammered. Uh, you know, there's, you know, the mother that has the child, uh, she's, you know, she's 21 years old. Uh, she's a white woman. Uh, the child goes into the foster care system. Now there's a tremendous amount of, um, white children uh, from these opioid epidemic, um, highly hit opioid epidemic areas, um, just crushing the system. So it's in, it's in really bad shape yeah. right now. Okay, so we'll look for the Nehemiah, Nehemiah Project. It's uh, hopefully be airing uh, in, later on in this year, correct? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to shoot it sometime uh, at, at the end of the year and, and, and hopefully air it uh, sometime in 2020. Hey, Alan, it was a pleasure meeting you when you were here uh, doing uh, Addiction Unplugged, and uh, 
We want to thank you for taking part in Retreat's uh, panel on the 24th down there in West Palm. Uh, I don't know how often you get to Ephrata or Philadelphia, but uh, next time you do, give me a holler. No, I appreciate it. And just, you know, lastly about Retreat, you know, we we, we have some great episodes on uh, the series. You know, we did an episode about Ohio and Ground Zero and how the crisis started, and we actually filmed a family that, lost nine, the wealthy family that lost nine family members in a two-year span, which is insane. Um, we did a great episode about corporate responsibility and did one about drugs in the inner city, uh, Chicago and, and, and out here in Overtown. And um, We did some really unique specialty treatment centers, um, but, uh, you know, retreat really stood out. It, it's a remarkable facility and you know i'm not i'm not a salesman i'm not plugging retreat but um those guys really yes know how to do it I you know, know. When, when you when you just when you when you comb the country and you see different places uh you know you really see who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong and those guys are doing a great job yeah i agree with episode, you i agree with you. super excited about uh the episode which focused on um uh, pregnancy. Helping pregnancy. Yeah, remember. Alan, thanks so much and uh, uh, continued uh, success with your work. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, my man. Had a great time. Thanks, Steve. Take okay. care, everybody. Uh, Recovery Radio, keep looking for us. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.